The rise of generative artificial intelligence for use by software developers has been well documented, but how well is it doing these days? We're going to speak with someone who is on the front lines of many different software development projects next up on Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me on the show today is Corey Heimel. He is the Vice President of Product and Research at Gigster. Corey, welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you for having me. And you've got one of the coolest backgrounds that I've uh, experienced so far in the show. So it's like you almost took took the time to uh, make the coolest background ever for, for your videos. I did spend way too much time and potentially way too much money. I'm, I'm assuming uh, that you also do a, a number of podcasts because that's a very podcasty like background. Podcasts, YouTube, yeah. um, in some weird future alternate universe, I'm a um, successful game streamer, uh, but that is not this one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, all right. So just quickly tell me about uh, what you do with uh, with Gigster. And so, so that we can uh, frame the discussion around generative AI and software development. Yeah, of course. So I lead um, product and research, right? And so what that entails for Gixter, which, um, you know, Gixter's main mission in life, right, since we've been around for about 10 years, uh, was to kind of enable um, the future of work, enable distributed teams, uh, and invest in technology and research to make them successful. Um, you know, our kind of like motto is to be able to s- assemble these really high quality teams from around the world fast mm-hmm. and then give those teams superpowers with tech. Uh, and, you know, over the past 10 years, we've um, been continually looking at what can we do to help developers uh, be more successful? What can we do to make software development teams more predictable? Uh, and have always kind of approached um, software development from like a very data driven lens. And so underneath my purview in the product and research side is saying like, all right, like what's going on in the market? What's new out there? Uh, what do we need to invest in? What do we need to kind of um, kind of explore more in order to, uh, again, two sides of the coin, one, make software development more predictable, yeah, uh, but then also make developers, you know, give them superpowers uh, with tech. So right. There's a lot there, but that. And so with, within the last year, uh, software uh, development has experienced this generative AI, uh, chat GPT to help with um, coding, for example, just ha- ha- have developers, you, you could just type a prompt in and it would write the code. Uh, but what are, some, what are some of the areas that you've seen being on the, on the front lines as you are? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the copilot, the stuff of that nature is all, I mean, it's amazing, right? It, it, it's super fascinating. We have a lot of, um, you know, devs that use it when and where they can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, inter- interesting enough, right, is that, you know, whenever we do work uh, with any large clients, there's uh, within maybe the past four or five months, there's an AI policy that comes with it too, you know, that use the tools you can use, can't use, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, okay. Uh, and a lot of these like, yeah, a lot of these like uh, LLMs and, you know, generative uh, AI models out there are typically on that list of you can't use these mm-hmm. uh, because, again, you know, the the ability to for them to kind of learn off the data you're putting in, it, it violates a bunch of the security like InfoSec rules that come from Fortune 100, 500 clients. OK, um, but, you know, where we've found it to be really, really interesting is that, you know, while it's got a lot of impact into uh, the actual code writing process, the part that a lot of developers hate it's not writing the code mm-hmm. it's all of like the ancillary crap that they have to do around documentation around pro you know around um 
project management meetings around making sure Jira is up to date, around like consolidating notes of what was worked on, bug reports, et cetera, et cetera, where AI actually becomes really, really um, successful in helping kind of streamline what they do so they can focus on the super complex uh, thinking and processes and problem solving that goes into actual coding. Uh, so while, you know, there is a huge lift of, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, um, Copilot is going to, you know, replace devs, da, da, da. you know, no, it's not right. What it, it enhances what they do, but where we found a lot of value again, is that kind of what's in orbit around the dev. Right. Uh, and that's where we've been looking at it a lot lately. And, and you guys, uh, before we, uh, ju jumped on the show here, we were talking about, uh, you guys deploy a follow the sun development process. And uh, a lot of companies tried to do this in the mid two thousands, but then ultimately failed. Um, are, are you seeing that now chat GPT and, and other generative AI tools can, can help revitalize this idea? Like what were some of the biggest problems, why it failed in the two thousands? Yeah, that's a great question. So I do have to caveat that, that yeah. we, we do it when we can. Okay, we would all right. like to yeah, do yeah, it all the time. Yeah, we don't want to um, say that you do it all the time. Yeah, because it is extremely difficult to do even now. But what we saw was that there was this, uh, and it was inspired a bit by Elon Musk. Um, you know, he had made a statement out before that, you know, one of the ways that he had set up or sets up his companies uh, is that he really thinks about work as um, never sleeping and never ending, right? Like the planet never stops. And a lot of way the companies and organization operate today it is you know you're nine to five like yes you might have kind of some split and overlap time zones but there's yeah. huge gaps where no work's being done uh, so what he kind of deployed within his orgs is this infrastructure and kind of workflows that let people continuously hand off work throughout um, you know the rotation of the earth and a mm -hmm. lot of that is around like project management and maybe some engineering stuff uh, but what we said is that all right like you know we're kind of doing this a little bit today with development but we need to put some more resources towards it and try it and see what happens. And where did it fail before? Uh, so we talked to a lot of the researchers that, again, you know, in the you know kind of early mid two thousands, they gave it a shot. Uh, I think IBM tried it, uh, like Infosys tried it, some other companies tried it, and it failed spectacularly. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when we talked to these researchers and and went through a bunch of the data and findings, the main point where things broke down was in the communication and handoff portion between uh, two separate teams. Okay. Uh, and, you know, the way that we basically break down and segment it out is that, you know, we cut the world into like three zones um, and those three teams uh, will kind of continuously hand off work as it goes around. Uh, but that handoff position between the two teams is incredibly, incredibly important because if that, if one of those handoffs fails, you basically have to wait you know, until it comes all the way back around in order to kind of pick it up and solve it. So you can have huge, uh, you can have huge upside with like tons of uh, optimization and productivity that goes through the roof, or it can like really break. And next thing you know, you're, you can fall far yeah. behind. Can, can you um, describe the handoff for people that might not know what, what, what you are referring to? Is, is it just that a coder works for six or seven hours on, on, on writing something and then he has to, he has to then tell the next person what he did or what they did? Versus, and then the next person has to go through and and review all of the the changes that were made. Is that kind of how the hand, handoff works? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you know, you can kind of think of it as like imagine that you're kind of building on a set of Legos. Okay. Um, and then you someone else comes in and it's like, all right, I'm ready to start. Uh, you know, you kind of want to show them like, here's where I was. You know, here's here's where I was going to go next. This is kind of how I've set up the pieces. 
so we can easily get to them. Right. And so you kind of ramp them into what was the current work in progress so they can pick it up and keep it rolling. Right. But it, it, it's um, almost as if you were building a Lego set, but without the instructions, like you were building a freestyle Lego. <laughs> you're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you were building a freestyle Lego. So you might say that, you know, we're trying to build a, uh, you know, we're trying to build a starship uh-huh. uh, and everyone kind of gets a little bit of their own interpretation of what a starship <laughs> might be or might look like or what might be important yeah. to work on in their block. Um, so having that time to convey to the next team where you are, what's going on uh, is incredibly important. And back in the 2000s, when they were trying this kind of the first time, they were literally picking up the phone and calling people mm-hmm. over a landline, you know, like imagine sitting there with a phone with a, with a cord, which yeah. sounds ridiculous now. <laughs> uh, and, you know, no screen sharing, you're emailing the code base to the next team and saying, Hey, here's what we did. And the other person's like scribbling down some notes trying to trying to understand what exactly is going on and then they hang up the phone and the next team's like okay well what do we do now yeah um and you know what we saw and what we thought was like that if that's the problem they were having like we are we are so far ahead of what that was you know we're like solidly i mean you know github is and revision and code check-in yep has come to a great place you've got video calls like everyone's already operating post-covid in this kind of distributed virtual world we should be able to solve these problems now um, so we started piloting it and had some early successes. And then what we started to see was that, you know, there's definitely places where AI can kind of plug into this. And what we found was interesting is that the main part um, that was a problem was having, it's kind of like moving a mental context from one team to the next mm-hmm. uh, and being able to understand the questions that the previous team might have been asking because that provides a ton of understanding of what issues they were facing, how and how they maybe why they chose the decisions they did to fix them. Uh, and with generative AI and like chat GPT, what's really interesting is that if you start a chat thread, you can share that chat thread and it starts to learn the context and has the history of questions that were answered. So if you switch that and move that along and pass that from team to team, as well as video recordings, you know, GitHub logs, like good issue tracking with Jira, like all the other fundamental stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can kind of solve that context switching issue to a degree. Like, obviously, it's not to 100 uh, percent, but it does actually help you take full advantage of having like, a you know, again, we try to think of it as like planetary development and not just regionally or time zone one, uh, uh, which so, is fascinating to find. Yeah. So so some of these tools now could be used to at the start of my shift if I'm a developer uh, I can have the Gen AI stuff and go through and, and read what has already been documented. And then it gives me a summary so that I can more quickly understand where my next steps are. Is that, does that make sense? Is that fair? Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 I, yeah at a high level. Right. Okay. Yeah, sure. At a high level. Right. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the other ways that, that you're also seeing, you know, Gen AI being used? It's, um, obviously writing code, but it, it can also interpret the code that you're writing. Does it, does it verify it? Can it, can it verify it? Or are there other new ways of, of, cause I know that there's in the past, there's been code, um, verification systems and things like that. But you know, what are some of the other new ways that you're seeing people use it? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll be honest, we haven't, or I haven't personally messed much with like the actual verification, you know, we use, uh, providers like sonar cube and stuff yeah. like that, that'll like automatically run like static code analysis to determine it. Uh, but what really is really interesting um, is being able to like summarize code and like mm-hmm. what it does for the documentation purposes. Again, when I mentioned like what 
you know, when, when we think about giving tools to developers, you, you, if you put your seed in the customer, it's like, what do they hate to do, right? No developer. I, I was a developer for a number of years. Yeah. It's been a while, so I don't claim to be one anymore. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I hated doing was like documenting code. But it's so fundamentally important when you're doing large-scale projects, but it's something that every developer out there does not want to sit there and write documentation. So being able to pass in you know, a file um, or a class of code and say, summarize what this does is just huge, right? It Again, it frees up more time. It creates a better work environment. It gives, leaves them in a better headspace. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's one, um, like I said, we haven't done much on like the code interpreter and things with, with some of the open AI tools. Uh, but obviously like uh, Copilot's got some cool features and neat stuff in mm -hmm. there um, on that side, but I'm excited to see where, and where I think the next part is going to come in, and it's already started to lightly do it, is AI integration um, directly into IDEs. Um, so for those of you that don't know what um, an IDE is, it's basically like a program that programmers use to go and write their code. Yep. So you can think of it as having like AI infused in the Microsoft Word, uh, but this is infusing AI into the foundational program that they use to write yeah. the code. Yeah. Um, and once you start doing that, you get some really, really interesting stuff uh, happening. And, you know, there's, I think there's some really cool work going on uh, around being able to, you know, write in a prompt for kind of what you want. And before you would write in a prompt and it would give you the code that comes out with it. But, mm -hmm. you know, I've seen some of these new tools come out where you write a prompt and it'll basically design the UI for you and then also kind of give you all the underlying code that goes with it. So not all, only are you getting raw code, you're also now getting front end utilities to go on top of that. And, you know, as of now today, a lot of the developer, and this is a, I'm going to caveat, but this is a very generic statement, but like today, a lot of developers are either kind of in the front end world or on the back end world. Right. And if you're trying to do a startup, you're trying to like make something happen. If you're in one of those two camps, you kind of need support from one of those other houses are uh, that kind of other side of the aisle. Um, and, you know, with some of these new tools, what we hope and expect to see uh, is that more developers are able to kind of turn in and uh, to, you know, full stack, being able to kind of cover both front end and uh, back end. Uh, and I think that's going to be a really, really interesting play because then the next logical step from there is that where does the designer get integrated into this now, right? Um, and then how does that link then into like the product re requirement stock? So is AI kind of like eating software development like piece by piece and integrating and optimizing all of the different roles into a much more kind of cohesive uh, skill set. And yeah. I think that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and what it kind of means for current software development techniques, roles, education, uh, you know, people coming into the workforce, uh, what their skill sets, where they will kind of lie, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's exciting to watch. Is it is it hard for, for developers to keep up with what's going on? Uh, with all these tools coming out on a, you know, weekly, if not daily basis with announcements and new, new features. Cause again, it feels like everyone is adopting AI, no matter what industry you're in. And it feels like if you're trying to, you want, you want to use these tools, but how can you keep up with the, the rate of, of how the tools are being updated? Yeah, I don't, you know, it, yes, it is very difficult to yeah. do. And, and the reason why is that, you know, trying to think of the, be the best way to phrase this, uh, is that the developers from what I've seen have very polarizing positions on what the AI is. Some, you know, are like, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. This is neat. Let me test it out. And then others that just will simply shut the door on it and say, no, this is, you know, this is 
this is ridiculous. This doesn't work. This, you know, this is bullshit. It's, yeah. it's, it doesn't do what it, it's not as good as what everyone's saying it is. Um, and it is very, you know, I, I, I've seen it from what I've seen. My, my own side is that it is very um, polarizing within the community. And, you know, with that, it makes it very difficult to keep up with is all the new tools that are coming out because trying to alter your workflow and the way that you code um, is not something that a lot of people want to do. Uh, it is very kind of like mentally taxing to kind of try to adjust and build new stuff in your workflows. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I 100% kind of feel for the developers out there, right? And kind of getting just flooded with now everything is, you know, plus AI, plus AI. Like, <laughs> okay. Like, like, I don't even know where, where to begin, right? That's just um, I, like from my end, I'm just monitoring the productivity software that you know, a company like Microsoft or Google comes out with and they're just like, Oh, we've got copilot here, copilot there, copilot there. Uh, half of these things I probably won't ever try or learn to try. Um, Mm -hmm. the others I might dabble with it a little bit, but I don't see um, me changing my workflow just yet. And so I'm wondering if, if on the software development side, it's the same kind of feeling of almost too much too quickly. Yeah, like a hundred percent. You know, and I, I think that I, I mean, the, I'm curious to see if like what, like what is the market saturation point where everyone's kind of like, oh, okay, like this is enough, right? And yeah. it's like, the, is there going to hit some backlash of like it's almost now cool to say that you don't have AI in it? It's like, <laughs> no, no, like, like <laughs> this is real. This is there's no AI in any of this. Yeah. You know, I can see too in the future that um, you know having you know uh, when I think about. Um, like uh, um, social media platforms or content platforms where people post being able to validate, you know, that there is no AI yeah. included in this. You know, I, I don't know what the, you know, I saw the other day, the statistic that like stack overflow is, um, you know, I think that they dropped like 20% of their headcount or 25% of their headcount after AI, you know, the generative AI came out mm-hmm. because nobody's going in and really needing to ask questions from the general public anymore. Uh, and I think that's good or bad. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really yet know the position on it, but I do think that there is definitely a net negative effect of not networking, right? And not actually reach talking to other people in the development community and actually yeah. getting real feedback from individuals versus just from a LLM. Um, but that, 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 that might that be backlash, getting yeah, old and grumpy. Yeah, that little backlash comment might, might be interesting because then companies might start putting on labels that say, hundred percent, you know, code written by a hundred percent humans or, or we're going to get labels or designations like that versus hundred percent written by AI. Yeah. And like, you know, what, what, what I find interesting about it is that, you know, if you look at the huge, so a lot of companies, a lot of airlines, right. A lot of banks, a lot of their like core infrastructure still runs on mainframes, right? I mean, some of them are mm-hmm. out there still running Fortran yeah. and other you know stuff. And if you look at the developer pool that's out there to be able to support that, it is shrinking so fast, if not near zero. And you know, when I look at kind of in the future, it's that if if developers become like, will you will you have this segmentation of developers that are basically overly reliant on AI, so they actually don't know a lot of the core fundamentals of programming? Uh, and actually understand, you know, discrete math and like be really good at Boolean logic and deciding, you know, designing classes and architecture, but have a heavy reliance on um, using these models. Um, but at the same time, there's a huge and massive security risk uh, to leveraging them. Um, you know, how does how does the developer community kind of resolve that? 
um, because you know you can, might have a great developer on on paper. You bring them in, and it's like you've got to work behind the wall because you're working on banking infrasystems or you're working on something that requires that you can't use it. Yeah. Um, do you get this kind of large separation gap within uh, the workforce? And uh, I, I kind of foresee that coming, uh, and I and I don't know what exactly to make of it yet, um, but I think it will be interesting to see how it uh, to see how it plays out because I think you're gonna that the the definition of what is a good developer uh, one is already really hard to define yeah um, but two I think will become even more difficult to define. Um, after this has really truly like integrated and dug its fingers into software engineering. Is it, is it naive for me to say it, in, in um, looking at the, you know, shrinking numbers of programmers for a certain language or, you know, from the, some of those old days types of mainframe things. Um, is it, is it naive for me to say, well, could you train AI to become a developer to become a Fortran programmer or, COBOL back in the day when we were all facing the Y2K issue. Most of those things were written in COBOL. And and my yeah. stepmother was a COBOL programmer and she tried to describe what COBOL was and she says it's like writing a long letter to your grandmother. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Or is I mean, that, or, or, you know, is it, is it naive to try to then say, well, we'll just train AI to be the COBOL programmer. It, it feels I naive as a that, question. Yeah, I mean, I could see a, um, you know, <laughs> this is gonna sound really bad. I can see a non-tech CEO being like, "Oh yeah, we'll just have AI do that too." Yeah, it's, like, it's not quite that simple, mm-hmm. especially when you have like these massive historical systems to do it. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> you know, or or is that, that the beginning of the end when the computers finally take I, over? <laughs> Yeah, when the computers are writing themselves, yeah, um, yeah, then we are. Uh, then you know, then Skynet becomes a little <laughs> less science fiction, yeah, <laughs> potentially a little more real. But like it, it does, you know, I, I think that it does really, really urge the point right where there's there is an inherent risk to developers becoming overly dependent on the tech because they again lose out on a lot of the fundamentals of what of how to think about programming from an architecture standpoint, from like a problem solving and complexity standpoint. Um, And, you know, if you can just put in like, Hey, build me this app and then it builds the app. Like, are you capable of debugging it? Like Mm -hmm. if something goes wrong, as soon as it gets a little more complicated, like what does that mean? And what is, cause I like to think about it from like more of a abstract, again, like workforce impact uh, five, 10, 20 years from now, what will hiring look like? What will, retention look like yeah. how does that change truly what it means to uh to be a tech company and what do you do about building a labor force where you have very um large scales of variance and like i would say like complex problem solving programmers versus highly uh tool um but fast developers yeah this is this was a topic i think we covered on another episode where we talked about training the next generation of students and uh people that are going to grow up with ai as a default um almost like the way that you when you were teaching math to to little kids you still have to teach the fundamentals and is that going to when we're when we're teaching future software developers is that going to be the same thing yeah yeah i know that's um 
That that is a that's a great question. I yeah. don't know. Someone out there knows the answer, and I would love to. Well, do you have an opinion? Do you have an opinion on it? Like, do you think that we're that colleges and education and businesses are going to still have to train the basics, or just train the basics and then just say, well, then just use AI for the rest? Yeah, I mean, so I. So here's the thing, right? Is that any new innovation um, will create disruption kind of in the status quo, right? Uh, and I get asked this question all the time, like, is AI going to replace jobs? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, obviously, yes, of course it is. It's supposed to. If it didn't replace jobs or, or didn't make, you know, didn't replace jobs, then why are we even doing it? Yeah. Um, you know, but it will create new jobs, uh, just as electricity did, just as the automobile did, just right. as the airplane did. Um, but what I think is, interesting in this type of disruption where we are now is that it's starting to it's starting to actually impact kind of the status quo from the education standpoint mm -hmm. uh, and what i mean by that is like you know a lot of where i learned um i would say kind of cut my teeth um and and programming is that you know was in high school um was then in college um uh, but I learned more, I felt as though I learned more practical applications outside of school um, than I did in school. Right? right. But I still was being taught the fundamentals there. And now maybe like in my youthful um, brain, I was like, oh, there's no way this is pointless. But I did get a lot of like, again, it was the fundamentals that were there. Yeah. And also I didn't have much of an avenue to go into freelance programming. Like it wasn't quite as big then. Uh, but when I look at kids coming up now, you know, if you're, you know, I saw, I was reading a thing the other day about, you know, a, a college kid that had written a AI program that could um, use uh, computer vision to decipher um, um, Egyptian text on a papyrus and one like 40 K, but like, there's nothing stopping these younger kids from now being able to participate in the freelance economy for programming and actually yeah. be really proficient in it. And therefore question do I even need to continue on with my education or now I have enough to be able to create a viable living here? Right. Right. And in that skip, do they actually face losing a lot of like that fundamental teachings that get taught in school that most people, most kids don't appreciate. Um, and what will that kind of mean? And will there be negative backlash for that? Right. Uh, and that's, that I think is an interesting kind of thought exercise to, to run through. Yeah. It, it does feel like too, that, that businesses then need to really look at how they are training employees on, on newer techniques and newer tools. And sometimes mm -hmm. it feels like that falls by the wayside. The training budgets yeah. really are the first things cut sometimes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like I consider our company, um, innovative right like we're, we're constantly trying to do new stuff but it's yeah. still like it's still not easy yeah right? it's still not easy to bring in a new tool and like we're going to start using this it's really difficult to do and so i can't you know i i feel for the larger enterprises you know I, it's like now as i'm as i'm you know aging right i i can understand why ibm and some of these other companies everyone's like oh they move so slow i'm like i get it right you know trying to get <laughs> yeah people to like have a cohesive email signature you know even at a smaller <laughs> company is difficult much less try to <laughs> try to you know get some other crazy uh solution or workflow deployed yeah um so i, I want to sw yeah. switch back yeah. to a little chat gpt stuff uh for a second yeah. um 
have you monitored the development of of GPT three, three point five, and four? Because um, I've se- I've seen some things uh, beyond the software development space of where some people think it might not be getting smarter; it's actually getting dumber. Um, have you? Do you guys monitor that on on the software development side? You know, is is it getting better at some of these code development? Yeah, features. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, so I can only provide anecdotal yeah. feedback. Um, I wish that we had some data, like or like some rigor around being able to test this uh, completely, because I hear it across the board yeah. that it's getting worse. Um, and you know, I I I agree, but my understanding of why it's getting worse uh, is that you know originally uh, the GPTs models kind of run ran as like. Um, as a monolith, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like one huge LLM that you're able to kind of go at, you know, one one brain that you can go ask uh, these questions for. Uh, and what uh, they, what my understanding is that OpenAI was switching to this concept called a mixture of experts, where you have multiple models, like, you know, one to N number of models, where each of those models is kind of smaller uh, but kind of more specialized in something. So if you went to ChatGPT and said, hey, write me a social media post uh, for LinkedIn around um, AI, right? It might go to the one little brain that's around writing social media posts. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't get as much context as the giant brain does. Now, why would anyone do that? Uh, quite frankly, it's extremely expensive to run and consistently train a huge LLM. Right. Model. It's like, I think I think OpenAI was burning something like thirty or forty million dollars a month just to run this huge model. Um, so it becomes more cost effective to start right. to have this what they call mixture of experts. And so whenever you do that, though, you obviously you will lose you lose a, a large amount of knowledge because you're kind of shrinking down what's there. Um, and when you ask a question, it kind of goes to a model first that then routes it and interprets it to what other model it should be going for. Now there's tons of learnings that have to go into that. Like you have to train that. The only way to train it is with real data. Uh, so do I think that there's a dip now for sure? Do I think it'll get better? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I think they made the right move in doing that? Like a hundred percent. We look at the future, um, especially when it comes to like enterprise adoption or, uh, and this is kind of important, I think for developers as well, uh, how, um, how enterprises will be adopting AI. It is going to be this concept of a mixture of experts, uh, it's going to be able to, how do you build an effective strategy that leverages multiple different models, potentially from multiple different providers? You know, we've gone in uh, with some of our customers to, you know, do, for instance, like image generation. It's like, well, let's try, you know, Google's. Let's try, you know, see how it compares to Midjourney. Yeah. Let's, you know, maybe try um, Dolly, right? And while the AI might work best using, for, you know, as an example, Google has the best image one, but OpenAI has the best textual interface. And then, you know, maybe there's some other one. Cohere has a better dev or project management one. And being able to effectively use these different models to their best ability and string them together in a cohesive experience uh, is where we kind of, that is our kind of vision of what future architecture is going to look like, future adoption is going to be. Uh, because one, you get better performance, and also two, you can get significantly lower costs to operate. Right. Uh, which is always important. So so at this point, the it would just be a blip in terms of the... Uh, technology getting dumber. You think that it, they'll yeah. figure this out? 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, when you're working with uh, clients that are in some of these software development projects, you don't have to, I don't want you to name any names or specific projects, but are you finding that most of them are still in that trial period or have you seen a lot moving to deployment? Because um, it's now October 2023. So um, I get a sense that a lot are still in that trial period, but are you seeing more and more being deployed? Yeah, so more are getting to production state, right? Um, but, you know, at the beginning of this year, um, you know, it, it was funny because this is kind of how the adoption went, right? Is that, you know, October-ish or whatever, 2022, no one's got a budget for generative AI. No one's thinking about it, <laughs> right, right? right? All of a sudden, OpenAI launches, OpenAI, you know, ChatGPT comes out, everyone's like, holy shit, yeah. okay, we need to be doing something. Um, so then we get in the Q1 and everyone's like, you know, like freezes and it's like, all right, let's watch how this kind of plays out. Mm -hmm. um, budgets start to kind of get reallocated. Q2 of this year comes in, companies are looking at it saying, all right, is this just a hype or is it really disrupting stuff? Um, at this point too, their employees are starting to use it regardless of internal policies because they don't have any. Um, <laughs> or they ignore them. You know, they, or they ignore them, yeah. And then, so we're now we're in Q2, uh, budgets are kind of getting there. Uh, then we hit Q3, right? And it's like, all right, we need to be like, we need to do something like something's got to happen. And where a lot of the phone calls that we were getting um, and where a lot of our customers were starting was, it was like, hey, Corey, our CEO says that we need to do something with generative AI. We know that it's hot. We know it's going to help, but we're not really sure where to start. Yep. Um, or, hey, you know, we, we have an idea for a pilot. We want to build something small just to test it out and see um and then that was a lot of like Q3. And then now uh, heading into Q4, a lot of them are like, all right, this this works. Like we, we've kind of validated the product market fit with our employees. Yep. Um, now, how do we how do we secure this? How do we launch this? Like, how do we do it in a way that doesn't hit public models? Can we run? This is like the number one question. It's like, can we run ChatGPT without ChatGPT? I'm like, <laughs> uh, all right. So your question is, it's like, can you keep your data that you're asking it from going? Yeah. To that seems AI, to be a big issue know, with the enterprise is that they yeah. want all of the benefits, but they can't, they don't want to, they don't want to use any of their own data or private data. Right, 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 right. So that's, that's where the big, a big adoption points at now. And then, you know, looking at um, next year in Q1, it's going to be, all right, we've got some of these models, but like they're, they like work okay, but we need to train them on our own data, mm -hmm. which now comes into a whole nother investment um, side of like, how do you curate the data? How do you tag the data? How do you retrain or optimize or do um, transfer learning, which is where you take a base model and then train it on top, or, or I guess fine tuning is the word nowadays um, for it. And that'll be Q1, right? And then Q2 of next year will be how do we like deploy this larger scale within our orgs? And then Q3 is like, how do we integrate this into like customer value back? And when I say customer value back, I'm talking about like large Fortune 100, 500 that don't typically provide AI type solutions back or integrated in. How do right. they start to leverage out? Uh, because there, I mean, so some of our, you know, like CPG brands and stuff, like there's very valid concern that like our brand is so, you know, they're, they're like our brand is so important. We're like a hundred years old, et cetera, whatever it is. Yeah. How do we put controls that, you know, if we tell this thing to go generate some advertising stuff that it doesn't, doesn't, you know, put up something that we do not 
that we that we right. really don't want to have up there. You <laughs> right. Know? Um, so like, what are those controls, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. Um, you, which, you, which are all like very valid concerns. Yeah. Right? Do you see? So it, it does feel like most of the companies were making were doing this with small staff, small projects. Uh, do you see the next steps then moving towards an external facing product or larger project, but still but still very focused on internal usage? Yeah. I mean, so I think I think both. Um, and the reason why is that one, you can get huge you can get huge levels of cost savings internally, right? Mm-hmm. So you can kind of like lower your OPEX spin, which everyone wants to do. Right. Um, and, you know, from the customer side, you can also increase, you know, earnings and revenue. Now, what I think is going to be, what I do want to watch and see is how, you know, come Q2 of next year, uh, are people still piggybacking on AI as like the core value prop. And that's like what I really, really actually hate about where we are today is that everyone, you know, it's like, what's that meme where they're just like slapping the hood of a car and they're like, this baby will get 30 miles a gallon or something. You know, it's like everything nowadays is just like, you know, slap, put AI on it and now it's going to be awesome. And then um, when no one uses it, you know, VC, you know, founders or companies like, why did nobody care about this? Yeah. Thinking uh, no one's designing from a customer experience and actually value position to start with. Um, So when I look at Q2 and more of next year, it's going to be, are people still saying AI or is it just kind of inherent and that it's more about, this is the value you get from this product, not, you know, we get to say AI, therefore, you know, our investors and shareholders and customers are, immediately going to flock to whatever this is. Yeah. I, I, you know, we've done a couple of episodes too on whether the, the backlash or the trough of disillusionment is going to happen with AI. Um, it, the feeling was that we were headed towards it, but then all of a sudden there was a raft of new products that came out. So now we're like, Oh, maybe, maybe we're not disillusioned with it. But at some point, if so many people are slapping AI on their products and then they don't get used, you will have uh, some of the accountants at, at these companies going, where's, where's the value? We just spent all this money and you haven't provided us with value yet. Yeah. And I'd like, uh, so. And then, are know, they gonna, I, and then I they'll just blame of, all the developers, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that, you know, what, what, what's important though, to remember about AI, I, th- I draw a lot of comparisons from blockchain to generative AI, right? Um, and so are we having a, a trough of disillusionment? Like, I think so, but it's it's to what degree? Um, you know, AI has been around since like the 60s. Yeah. You know? Like this stuff's been cranked on for a long time. When it first came out, you know, with DeepMind and all of that and it beat chess, everyone was like, ooh, ah, this is going to be it. Yeah. And then it fell off, right? Yeah. And then a new type of AI comes back. So I don't think that the trough is as deep as it might be for like a truly new tech on its first kind of run out there like blockchain was like the blockchain trough is like yeah mariana trench but like i i firmly believe that that's going to come back too and ai is a big reason that blockchain will stay relevant which is a whole rant that i could go on there uh, but when i look at it and people ask are we in a trough of disillusionment it's that i think that i think that we will hit one but it's not going to be as devastating or as deep Right. As it would have been if this was a brand new technology off of it, which it's not. It's not. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the reasons I think I, I think I agree with you on that is because it's so effective in so many different uh, industries and verticals and use cases. It's not just because I think with blockchain, 
it felt like it was only going to be used for a certain number of industries or use cases and then they couldn't really explain some of those use cases very well and then and then of course yeah. then the, the whole crypto thing got involved and nfts and all that other stuff and most people were like okay i'm gonna back off on this this idea but with gen ai you can go and ask you know any search engine for a question and it gives you an answer and you go "Ooh, that's kind of cool or the or the mid-journey yeah. stuff that you and i were talking about with the art generation that's really cool stuff so that's why i think yeah, AI has a little bit of a more of an advantage yeah, yeah. So I think so, right? It's like, and again, it it's been around for you know, right, fifty years. So I, like, yeah, I I do think that it does. I did think that generative AI came out with more, um, more value to customers out of the gate than what blockchain did. But right. what I think is interesting is that there's going to be a very large um, swing, and I think popular opinion around. Um, AI when it comes to uh, the general like intellectual property heist that was done and is being done daily on people's content that's created. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, OpenAI is a billion dollar company and they made it all on your date. Like they couldn't have done it without your data, which they went and got for free. Yeah. Um, and when I look at the next generation of the web, being able to prove um, ownership of content that you make is going to be significantly important, right? Now, that's not, I'm not talking about like NFTs and, you know, this other stuff, mm -hmm. but it's more of can, like, as more content and more value continues to get created within the digital space, not having some foundational way to track ownership um, of that is going to hinder it, its growth. And it's going to, it will happen at some point. And blockchain is kind of that foundational infrastructure tool to enable it. So I don't think, you know, again, uh, when I think of blockchain coming back, it's going to come back as like, um, you know, as like cloud computing did, right? right or something right. there where it is a infrastructure tool that is built upon uh, to help provide better experiences and not, and people aren't just slapping blockchain on it. It's like, Ooh, now everyone will want it. Like that is not the, the path. <laughs> and, and I think AI, like, I think AI basically created the, you know, created the market gap for blockchain to fit by not, you know, by basically stealing a bunch of content. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think there are some movements on the content side of, of preventing AI from learning stuff from like a Wall Street Journal or New York Times article, things like that. But I think they're doing that just so that they can then license it so that they can make some money off of the content. And then, and then they'll allow it if, if, you know, someone pays up for the, the licensing fee rather than yeah, just of course. preventing it from, from happening completely. Um, yeah. Do you remain generally optimistic about, about how generative AI can use, can be used for software developers or uh, are, do you, you know, I, I get a sense that you are, but is there, is there any roadblocks ahead that might, might come up or, I mean, are you past the idea of, of this is might just be a fad? Like, where do you stand in terms of looking at the future? Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm super bullish on it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, again, and when I say about helping developers, like, you know, I <clears throat> actually having generative AI write code is a very, is one piece of it. Mm -hmm. and, for, and for me personally, it's not what I'm most bullish about. Uh, you know, again, what I, what I care about is all of those, additional tasks that are orbit around yeah. the act of doing software development. You know, I think it's similar to, you know, when you look at like surgeons, 
or doctors, a very small fraction of their time is actually in there, you know, doing surgery. The majority of the rest of it is paperwork is doing all of this. And I think that's similar with a very similar thing to, um, to software engineering. So where I do think it's going to help is in making, freeing up a ton of developers time to do the complex art of writing code. Yeah. Uh, but then also generally make, make the software development process better because you know, documentation is getting well-written, you're getting good, you know, um, um, summarization of classes, you're able to store context of, you know, basically problems that might have arose, you're able to better track issues. You can then measure, you know, performance and, you know, burn rates a lot better. So then for you can stay predictive about how these teams are going to perform. So it has a domino effect. That's not just great. It can write you some code if you give it a prompt. Like yeah. There's a lot more impact that comes down the road from it than just that. Would you have any advice for a software developer that might not be aware of of these benefits, or, or if there are they skeptical? If there are some skeptics out there, um, just basically tell them to keep keep a more open mind about it. Or how do you convince some of these skeptics? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's one of those things where you need to, um, and I don't want to say adapt or die because it sounds very harsh and bold. <laughs> um, but it's got you know if if you don't if you don't take advantage of it to make your life easier, someone else is going to do it. Right. Um, so in order to stay competitive, especially as the market becomes more saturated, like you need to find a way to differentiate. And also, you know, the, the one thing that developers are really really bad at is celebrating their wins um, and kind of celebrating the good work that they do. Yeah. Uh, and being able actually and being able to show to business leaders, right? Their managers, their managers, managers, their CTO, their CEO, people that hold the budgets and stuff, uh, being able to describe the work that they're doing. And generative AI is, is one great tool to help you right, truly right. convey your value back into a company, right? Yeah. Uh, and that, and that, and doing that, you know, doesn't apply just to uh, people that are FTEs at a company already, but also freelancers, right? Being able to have a great portfolio, descriptive portfolio that people can see, uh, because the the it, the the world is so noisy now, it's really hard to stand out, especially if you're trying to get a job, find a job, move up in a job. Yeah. Uh, so if it's not using generative AI to write code because you don't want to do that, fine. But I suggest still looking at it again for all of those additional activities that. Um, are around you. Right, right. Great, great stuff, Corey. Uh, the, again, thanks for, for joining us on the show today. Uh, some, some, some really great points that you make here. Sure. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. All right. That's all the time we have for today's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any comments that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.